Um, We are in the middle of our Advent series. Um, Advent is a time where we kind of pause to to think about what Christmas meant um, for the Jewish people. Probably too close to all these things. Um, And what it means for us today. Um, We're in the third week of Advent for us. Um, You've already heard a sermon on love, um, one on peace, and today will be on joy. Um, And every week we light candles as part of the Advent celebration to remind us that um, the Jewish people, you know, as they were looking forward to the coming of Christ, were kind of in a metaphorical sense in a time of darkness. Um, And Jesus was looked to as the light, the light of the world. Um, And so as we um, celebrate you know, count down the weeks to him coming, we light a candle every week. So hopefully we can get this to work. Before we get too far into this, let's pray. Would you bow your heads with me? Lord God, we we thank you for this time, Lord. We thank you for gathering your people together, Lord, in your name. Lord, we thank you for the work that you are doing in our hearts, Lord, and in our community. We thank you for being our light. Um, Lord, we pray today that you would... Use each part of the service, Lord, um, to increase our appetite for you, Lord. I pray that we would learn uh, to taste and see that you are good today. Um, And that we would go forth from here looking forward, Lord, to, to seeking you out in your word, Lord, and in prayer, Lord, and in the life of your body. Amen. Um, oh, I forgot. I have a clicker before. Um, so, just a quick overview of what we're going to be talking about today. Um, just kind of asking a few questions. Why joy in Advent? Like, what does joy have to do with the time of Advent? Um, what is joy and how do you get it? Um, and what does joy in God in particular look like? And how do we cultivate that joy? Um, so our first question, why joy in Advent? Um, well, because Jesus came with the promise of joy. Um, and that's why the kids were singing earlier, joy to the world. Um, these are the words of the angels to the shepherds outside Bethlehem. He says, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. We can have joy because we have a Savior. Um, this is something the Jewish people had looked forward to for hundreds, if even thousands of years. Um, you know, if you look... Sorry, the second question, what is joy and how do you get it? Um, if you look in the dictionary, um, see that joy is 
an emotion. It's synonymous with delight, pleasure, gladness, happiness, and exaltation. Um, if you're like me, the idea that it's an emotion makes you feel a little uneasy um, because it means it's something that you have to express. It's not, not something that you can just simply have in your heart. And it's not, it's not like a deep sense of peace or something like that. So you, it's something that actually other people should see, you know, whether it be a smile or laughter or whatever. Um, your joy in Christ should be visible. Um, and this also gets at, you know, how do you get it? It's not actually something that you can, that you can reach out and grab. It has to be evoked by something. It's a natural response to something you either have right now or something that you anticipate having in the future. Um, and joy in the Bible is evoked by a lot of things. Um, it's evoked by physical blessings. You know, you see people having joy after a victory in war or safety or a good harvest, the birth of a child. John the Baptist came with joy. Um, you know, healing. It also, interestingly, comes when evil people have their desires met. Um, you know, when, you know, in the book of Esther, when Haman is raising this gallows t- to hang his, hang his nemesis, uh, Mordecai, he gets joy out of that. Um, it doesn't end up working out for him, but in that moment, he gets joy. Um, you know, we can get it in the fellowship and love of others. And we can also get it in, I mean, it, this is, again, how the Bible these are things that bring it out in the Bible, but God's goodness and glory and in restoration to him. Um, and this is what the angel was talking about. Um, and this is kind of what that we'll be spending most of our time on today, this joy that we get from, that is evoked by God's goodness and his glory in our life. Um, so there's at least five things that I think we can say about joy in God um, from Scripture. You know, it's the best kind of joy. It's the best kind. Um, well, we'll get into each of these, but it's also emotive and expressive. It's commanded by God. It's a gift from God, um, and it's not always easy to find. So joy in God is the best kind of joy because it's full and it's complete. Those other kinds of joys are temporary. Um, and this scripture makes very specific note that, you know, that these are fleeting. These pleasures are fleeting. But the, the pleasure we get from God is, is forever. Um, is this... Psalm reminds us, You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Um, So joy in God is also emotive and expressive. Uh, When scripture talks about joy, it it comes with behaviors like laughing, clapping, singing, singing very loudly, shouting, playing instruments, and even dancing. Um, Again, it's, it's not something that just exists inside of you. Um, Joy in God is commanded by God, which may seem strange at first. Um, You know, a lot of the times we read Psalms like, Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. We kind of think that that's a suggestion. You know, it's it's a good idea. We should all take joy in God as part of worship. Um, but you see it enough times in Scripture, not just in the Psalms, that, you know, you might cause to wonder, is this actually a command or is this just a suggestion? And then you have verses like the one in Deuteronomy um, where, God, where you actually realize that God expects you to have joy, expects his people to have joy. Um, and one of the reasons that he judges people is because 
they don't take joy in him. They don't take gladness in him. Um, because you did not serve the Lord your God with joyfulness and gladness of heart because of the abundance of all things, therefore you shall serve your enemies whom the Lord will send against you in hunger and thirst and nakedness and lacking everything. God takes joy seriously, which may seem strange. Um, I don't know if it seemed strange to me the first time that I thought about it. Um, you know, how can you command someone to delight in you? Doesn't that, that sounds forced. Um, and if, if it was anyone but God, then, then that would, I think, make sense. That would bear out. Um, but with God, it actually does make a little sense. Um, because delight is, um, delight is the highest kind of love that we can have. Um, there's a, a pastor named John Piper who has written a lot about joy, um, he has a great, very short book called The Dangerous Duty of Delight, which I encourage you guys to read. But um, in one of his books, he gives this analogy of, you know, celebrating his anniversary with his wife. Um, and, you know, the idea of bringing her home flowers. And, you know, and she responds and she thanks him for it. And he's, you know, if his response is, it's just my duty, um, that wouldn't go over very well. I don't suggest that you try that. Um, but, I mean, the, the natural response of a husband in that situation is to say, well, I love you. You know, I, I enjoy being with you. This is just an expression of that. Um, so that kind of, so delight is, you know, how you show not just this dutiful sense of, like, servitude to someone, but that you actually love them, that you, that you delight in who they are. Um, and that is what God deserves. I mean, he's our creator, uh, he created a world full of abundance and beauty for us to enjoy. Um, we, for who knows what reason, rebelled against him um, and, you know, chose to give that up. And, but ever, you know, he still desires that relationship with us. So he sent his son, which we, you know, we're celebrating in the time of Christmas, um, to, to die for us and to take our sin. And, you know, Bible describes our position as while well. we are, you know, alien and hostile in mind to God. You know, He came and died for us. Um, you know, that's that's someone worth delighting in, um, and He has every right to expect that delight from us. Um, but it, yeah, you don't you don't get to that delight by by focusing on that it's commanded by God. But just I think it's important to realize that it is an expectation. Um. So, joy in God is a gift from God. Um, it's one of the fruits of the Spirit. Um, you know, it's something that, not only is it something that God can give us, but that he delights to give us. It's one of the reasons that Jesus came, um, is that we might have joy, and the, the most joy that we're capable of. Um, he created us to enjoy him more than any other thing. And so he's, he's drawing us back into that perfect relationship where we can have true joy again. Um, and joy in God is not always easy. Um, it's not always our first reaction. Um, and I think the Psalms are great in that they kind of show the, the whole range of human emotion. You know, we just read one about, you know, the pleasures of God being forevermore. Um, but here, the same psalmist, David, is, you know, talking about, you know, this heavy burden of his sin. Um, and he's going about in mourning, and he's feeble and crushed, and he's groaning. You know, sometimes that's how we feel. Um, and I, 
And it's okay to acknowledge that. It doesn't make us less Christian to, to have those times in our life, too. Um, but that's, we, shouldn't be, we shouldn't sit there. Uh, we should desire the joy. Um, you know, that kind of visible joy that we have offered to us. Um, so this brings us to our next question. How do we cultivate joy in God? Um, and, you know, as, as we think about that question, we'll get back to dealing with it directly in a second. We have to deal with the fact that we're living in what theologians call the time of now and not yet fully. Um, you know, the now is that we are no longer waiting for a Savior. Yeah. This is a scene from a, a movie that's depicting Joseph and Mary and Jesus. Um, but this is, you know, this is a historical reality. This happened 2,000 years ago. Um, that happened. We, don't, we aren't like the Jewish people of old who are waiting for that to happen. Um, he, not only, he was not only born, but he came and he died for us. And then he was raised. And then he ascended to heaven and he sits at the right hand of God. That's, that is our reality right now. And we reign with him you know, when we have died to ourselves and been reborn in Christ. Um, that's our reality. We are co-heirs with Christ right now. Um, you know, and Christmas in general just serves as a reminder of what's already happened. Um, and then there's this time, it's kind of a corny picture, but, um, you know, and then not yet fully, like, and yet heaven isn't on earth right now. God isn't fully dwelling with men. The final judgment hasn't come. He hasn't made all things new. He hasn't wiped every tear from our eyes. Um, you know, and so this is also our reality, and you know, you can just look at the newspaper to get reminded of this, or you can listen to prayer requests. Um, but these are a few of the the free press articles from Friday. Um, but I, I mean, the de- depravity of man is on display every day in our lives, um, and in our local body too. You know, our you know friendships, marriages, other relationships are in turmoils, uh, turmoil. You know, people's houses are being broken to. There's physical violence. Um, sexual violence runs rampant in our community. You know, we have cancer striking our family members. You know, death is never very far away. Um, and this, I think Jonathan did a great job last week of, of hitting this part of our reality, the not yet fully part. You know, we live in a, just a very broken world. And we... You know, this creates this longing that Paul talks about in Romans, um, where the whole earth, all of creation, not just humans, is groaning. You know, we're, and, and this, is, this is our anticipation, that God will make, you know, all things new. Um, so I think, you know, as I was preparing this sermon, I was trying to find an example in Scripture, and there's a lot of examples of people that were wrestling through similar things that we do. Um, but one is one of the minor prophets, a guy named Habakkuk. Um, he lived in Judah, and he lived in a time of the reign of King Jehoiakim, who is pictured here. Um, and this was, these were arguably among Judah's darkest days. They were split off from Israel at this time. Um, Jehoiakim was an evil ruler. The Bible describes his reign as one in which he filled Jerusalem with innocent blood. Um, and not only was he, this picture actually um, shows him burning uh, the word of God, 
um, a prophecy that was given to him by Jeremiah, who was one of Habakkuk's um, contemporaries. So he's evil. He's killing people. That's happening in Judah. Um, Certainly not a friend to Habakkuk, who is one of God's people. Um, And then, to make matters worse, like, Judah is prey to all of these surrounding nations. Um, And it actually sits between two of the world's superpowers. That's why they're big arrows. Um, Babylon and Egypt are like, Babylon is at this time exerting itself as a world power. It has already overthrown Assyria, um, and now it's moving to overthrow Egypt. And right in the middle of them is Judah, specifically Jerusalem. And so they take turns sacking Jerusalem. And this is, this is kind of Habakkuk's, um, this is his setting. Um, and so I want to read to you the, the third chapter of his book, which is the last chapter. It's, he's closing up his book. Um, and he's looking out at this, this situation, this kind of upheaval that's all around him. And he's longing for the Lord to come, for the Lord to exert himself, um, as he did in the days of old. So starting in verse 2. O Lord, I have heard the report of you and your work. O Lord, do I, f- do I fear. In the midst of the years, revive it. In the midst of the years, make it known. In wrath, remember mercy. God came from Temen, and the Holy One from Mount Paran. His splendor covers the heavens, and the earth was full of his praise. His brightness was like the light. Rays flashed from his hand, and there he veiled his power. Before him went pestilence, and plague followed at his heels. He stood and measured the earth. He looked and shook the nations. Then the eternal mountains were scattered. The everlasting hills sank low. His were the everlasting ways. I saw the tents of Cushion in affliction. The curtains of the land of Midian did tremble. Was your wrath against the rivers, O Lord? Was your anger against the rivers or your indignation against the sea when you rode on your horses, on your chariot of salvation? You stripped the sheath from your bow, calling for many arrows. You split the earth with rivers. The mountains saw you and writhed. The raging rivers swept on. The deep gave forth its voice. It lifted its hands on high. The sun and moon stood in their place, at the light of your arrows as they sped, at the flash of your glittering spear. You marched through the earth in fury. You threshed the nations in anger. You went out for the salvation of your people, for the salvation of your anointed. You crushed the head of the house of the wicked, laying him bare from thigh to neck. You pierced with his own arrows the heads of his warriors who came like a whirlwind to scatter me, rejoicing as if to devour the poor in secret. You trampled the sea with your horses, the surging of the mighty waters. And at this point, he transitions into not just looking back and longing for those days of glory where God was more evident in the in the land of Israel, but he, he kind of takes in what's around him. He says, I hear and my body trembles. My lips quiver at the sound. Rottenness enters my bones. My legs tremble beneath me. Yet I will wait quietly for the day of trouble to come upon the people who invade us. Though the fig tree should not blossom, <clears throat> nor fruit beyond the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food. The flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. So he lives in this time of just utter 
chaos, really. Um, and that, and even as he's, he's clearly seen all of that, you know, he's still rejoicing in the Lord. Um, and I, I think this brings, this highlights another quality of the joy that we have in God. It's otherworldly. Um, and I mean that in the sense that it's not evoked by something that comes from our world. It's not situational. It's not circumstantial. It's, it's transcendent. Um, and we see this not only in Habakkuk's life, um, but we see this in the life of Paul and Silas. You know, this, this passage talks about them. You know, they were, they were preaching the word of God. They, the authorities, you know, come and they beat them um, severely. Then they throw them in prison. And then, after a few hours in prison, they throw a concert. They start, you know, singing hymns to God, you know, at midnight. Um, and, the, and the prisoners listen to them. Um, and it's just, I mean, in the midst of that kind of struggle, that is clearly not a normal response. Um, you know, they, there must be something else going on in their heads. Um, and I think, you know, you, you, this is not unique to Paul or Silas or to Habakkuk. Again, just one more example, the writer of Hebrews, you know, he's, he's writing to this group of people and he says, you know, you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. Um, therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. Um, so this, this last line, I think, gives us a sense, that idea that there's a very great reward. That was the promise that God offered to Abraham. You know, he's, you know as he's calling him, he says, I am your shield and your very great reward. The Bible is not shy about promising reward. Um, but we must understand that that reward is God. It's not any of the other things that we normally think of reward. But So cultivating joy in God begins with a complete paradigm shift. Um, and what I'm talking about here is actually believing that God is the great reward. You know, taking on faith something that, you know, we don't have Jesus in front of us. Um, we, you know, we don't, I don't, I haven't, I'll say that. <laughs> I haven't had like a throne room experience like Isaiah, you know, where he gets to see um, God's glory on just full display. Um, we have, we have like Habakkuk, we have, um, we have history. We have God in history moving in different ways. Um, and we have to take it on faith. That, that that God is, is better than what this world has to offer right now for us. Um, you know, if, if, we could, if we can see that, then I think if we can see God for how glorious he is, um, I think the temptations that we often get uh, sucked up in would pale in comparison. And this is just a passage from Philippians that kind of uh, talks about that paradigm shift. But Paul here is talking, um, you know, he goes through kind of his, his religious pedigree um, and all the stuff that he, he was building his life up on. And he, 
you know, comes to the conclusion, you know, for his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. Um, so that's the paradigm shift. It's taking what the world offers you as treasure and realizing that it's rubbish compared to the glory of your king. So the, you know, so we, our struggle is that, you know, as we're anticipating Christmas, um, and as we're, as we're celebrating the birth of Jesus, that there's, that's not my slide, but. Jonathan, are we? Uh, <laughs> um, that's cool. Um, that's better than my slide. So the, the problem is that we have a lot of distractions. You know, we can be distracted by money. We can be distracted by sex or beauty. Um, you know, and those are, those are the obvious ones. Um, but the less obvious ones are sports. Um, some of us, you know, love to follow sports. Um, love to play sports. Um, and it's not a bad thing, but it can be a distraction. You know, education is another one. A lot of us have done a lot of education, and that can be... You know how we, where we find our security. It can be what we're setting the pace of our life by. Um, if you are going to go to college, you should go to Michigan State. By the way, um, <laughs> no distractions there. Um, you know we can get caught up in this idea that you know our career, you know, climbing this ladder, certain metrics we have to meet by certain ages. Um, you know the idea of. Safety and security. You know, a lot of houses are being broken into in our community, and we can become so wrapped up in you know, and holding on to our stuff and clinging on to our stuff that we forget. You know, the example of the the <coughs> the people that the writer of Hebrews is writing to, you know, who joyfully accepted the plundering of their property. Um, you know, we can get caught up in exercise or health. Um, and get caught up in family, um, which is you know it's hard to it's hard to parse these all out because they're not they're not necessarily bad things. I love my wife and my son who are right there, um, but they can be a distraction. Um, you know, and we have to find a way to put God first in all of that. Um, you know, to be able to set those things aside and say what I what I am pursuing here is God. What I'm working towards, what my life is working towards is God. And these, these can be a part of that pursuit, but they don't necessarily have to be. Um, if you are married and you have kids, then they are a part of that pursuit, for the record. You don't, you don't get to drop them. Um, and this, that's, that's just not something that we can do on our own. You know, we are we're fallen, we're broken. We can't, we can't focus hard enough. We can't. You know, we can't concentrate hard enough on God. We can't create delight in God in ourselves. It's impossible. If we try, the closest thing we'll get is legalism or, or some moral code, which will still fail. Um, we can't create that in ourselves. It has to be the work of the Holy Spirit. He has to take our heart of stone, as, it, as he says in Ezekiel, and give us a heart of flesh, one that can, one that can actually desire him one that can desire the things of God, one that can love God, because we're not going to get there on our own. Um, you know, we, this ought to be our prayer. 
Um, another psalm from David. You know, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence, and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation, and uphold me with a willing spirit. You know, we need to throw ourselves at the feet of the king and say, I can't do this. Um, you know, this is, this is the start of joy in God. Um, it has nothing to do with us, and it has everything to do with God. Um, which makes that, you know, going back to the God commanding joy in us, it makes that a little easier to swallow. <laughs> he wants us to have joy in him. He's, he is going to make it happen in us. Um, there are ways that we can, you know, that we can cultivate the joy in us. Um, we, can't, we can't start it, but we can water it. Um, and one of the ways is by reading God's word. Um, and, um, and actually delighting in God's word, too. Like, that's an expression of God. Um, and it's not... I think a lot of times when we approach scripture, we think about just accumulating more information. Um, and I don't, I don't think that's the main goal of scripture. I could be wrong here. Pastor Russ is welcome to correct me on this one. But uh, I think the main goal of reading scripture is to renew your mind. It's to go through this, what uh, Pastor Russ often calls spiritual detox. Um, you know, you have all, those, all the messages from the world around you that are telling you how to value, you know, how to value your family or how to value your job or money or whatever. Um, and the, the way to, you know, wash your mind uh, is through reading God's word and through, through getting to know the character of God. Um, you can also cultivate joy in God by reflecting on his goodness um, and his glory. It's often... It's often the appeal of the Psalms is to think about what God's done, um, what's done in his, what He has done in history, um, and to look at, you know, in, in terms of His uh, His glory, to think about His creation, and just think about the immensity of the God that we serve. Um, we live in the middle of the city, which makes I think a little bit harder to reflect on God's glory sometimes. Um, but if you are you know, if you don't have the ability to travel to the Himalayas or something like that, or even to the country so you can actually see the stars, I would recommend uh, picking up a documentary called Planet Earth by the BBC. It's, I'm sure, one of many good documentaries, but it's pretty amazing. Um, my wife and I just went watched this with our kids, and yeah, I mean, it just the complexity and the beauty and just the abundance of God's creation I think is easy to forget. Um, and it's good to just pause from time to time and consider that. Um, because that that does, I think, increase our ability to delight in Him. Um, and I think Christmas is a good time to reflect on God's goodness. Um, God didn't have to send His Son. You know, He doesn't owe us anything. Um, you know, we are a rebellious creation. Um, he doesn't have to to do something in our life. He doesn't have to give us a new heart, but he delights to do that. And I <clears throat> I think Christmas is a great time for reflecting on what what good he has done in our lives personally and for um, for the world in general. Um, we can also cultivate joy in God by retelling his story. You know, we can do that both through you actually sharing the gospel with people, but also 
you know, taking delight in the opportunities to suffer alongside Christ. Um, <clears throat> and that joy that we have in sharing the gospel with others is often that we get to see them, we get to see the gospel bear fruit in their lives, for them to come to know Christ, for them to um, come to know the joy that they were created for. Um, and then we can cultivate joy in God by resting in God. Um, and then rest in, rest in this, um, the way I'm using it here is, I think there's both physical and spiritual components. I think intuitively, it's easier for us to be happy and smiling and dancing when we've actually had some sleep the night before. Um, and I think that's, you know, God knows that. God knew that before he created the world. That's one of the reasons why in creation, he instituted this idea of a Sabbath rest. He gave us a work-rest rhythm um, that I, I think we ignore a lot. And some of that's because we don't trust God to provide for us. You know, we, we're not going to get the score we want on the test because, you know, we didn't study, you know, Sunday night or whatever. You know, or we're never going to get ahead in our job or get done even what we need to do at our job if we don't work on Sunday too. Um, and, I mean, your, your rest can be whatever day of the week that you want it to be, but I think it's important to to set aside time for that. Um, yes. <laughs> and the spiritual reality is that, you know, one of the, the appeals of heaven that, that the Bible continually puts forth is that it is a rest from our labor. It's a rest from this constant striving that results from the fall. You know, part of the curse was that we wouldn't just work, but that we would work with toil, like it would be toilsome. It would, um, it would be hard. You know, work was, work was something that happened before that pre-existed the fall. It was part of God's creation. It was something that could be enjoyed. Um, but now, it's a struggle. You know, and it, you know, I, I think the struggle is obvious, as we've talked about before. But, um, but we can rest in the fact that, that God is, you know, God is working for us. He's working out all things for our good. He is, he is the one who started the work in us, and he is the one that's going to carry it on to completion. Um, so that is a lot to think about. Um, just a kind of quick recap, you know, characteristics of joy in God. Um, it's the best kind of joy. It's a motive. It's commanded by God. It's a gift from God. It's not going to be easy. Um, there's an otherworldly quality to it, an otherworldly source of our joy. Um, and to get that kind of joy, we have to first basically start over again. We have to give up everything that we thought we knew about how the world works and trust God, that he is our very great reward. Um, and only then can we, can we see him for the treasure that he is. Um, so let me pray for us, and then we'll move from this time into a time of tithe and communion. Um, yeah, so if the people that are running those things. So tithe will happen, and then people that are serving communion are going to come down here, and we'll just kind of file up. Um, so we'll see how that works. Um, pray with me. Lord God, we, we pray that we would know you as the great reward, Lord. We pray for the hearts 
Lord, that can love you for who you are. Lord, we pray for eyes that can see you as treasure. Lord, we pray for the heart of the man in the parable from Matthew, Lord, who found a treasure in a field, Lord, and then went and sold everything he had with joy so that he could obtain that field. Lord, we pray that we would see you as that kind of treasure, Lord, and that we would be willing to drop all of our hopes and dreams and plans and assumptions, Lord, and just delight in you, Lord, delight in your presence, uh, delight in being restored to you, delight in the gift, uh, the loving gift of your son. Now we can celebrate at Christmas, Lord. Amen.